do this and, and take up Luke 2. We're going to continue on from where we were this, this morning, for those who are here. As we, we look at how Luke, in recounting Jesus' childhood, what happens to where after his birth, sheds light on, on the meaning of that birth and of the incarnation of, of God taking on human flesh. It doesn't step back and, as it were, give us a, a theological treatise to explain how it all works, but rather shows us in action what it means for Jesus to be both man and God. Let me read from Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 39, um, through to the end of the chapter. Luke um, 2, beginning at verse 39. And when Mary and Joseph had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Biographers, and if you ever read a biography, love a story from from childhood. That is to take us back to the childhood of some great man or woman and show us how they were just like you would expect. They were just like the, the adult. Wordsworth famously said that the child is, is the father of the man. And so the Bible will take us back to, to show us Winston Church, whatever it is, at school and how already you can see all the character traits that will be with them in adulthood while they were there right from the beginning. They, they didn't really change. They may have entered into a new sphere of action, but they're always like that. Given how much biographers love telling us about people's childhoods, it's surprising how little we know of the Lord Jesus' childhood. After those first couple of years, the flight to Egypt, the return to Nazareth, sort of as it were, put by by Luke here all into one verse, just in in a moment, looked over. After that, we, we know nothing really of his life from God's word until he appears on the scene, as it were, fully formed preaching. Um, with the ministry of of John and the beginning of his ministry at around the age of 30. All those years must contain a a rich seam of of information. I'm surprised that through the years, um, Christians have made up all sorts of lovely myths and stories about what Jesus would have been like as a child in in the carpenter's shop. But but here at the age of 12 is the only real scene we get of what Jesus is like as a child. And remarkably, he is quite like he would be as an adult. Here he is, and and it's Jesus almost fully formed, down to the moment of 
of answering his mother with a question, answering a question with a, a sort of a gentle rebuking question back, followed by another slightly cryptic question about his father's house. And Jesus already has some extraordinary and recognizable authority who doesn't quite fit into the scene in which he's found himself and clearly is not just a human being. But I think what Luke is trying to bring out particularly here is, is a kind of contrast. The way in which I have a story here, which is both utterly in some ways ordinary, and we'll come to that in a moment, utterly human, that emphasizes that the ordinariness of Jesus' life, his, his obedience to his parents, the, the relationships he finds himself in, but at the same moment, place that in contrast with the utterly extraordinary. The scene of the boy in the temple questioning the teachers and speaking with utter authority and full of wisdom. It's summed up in those two great statements about Jesus' childhood at the beginning and end of our passage. How he grew and became strong. Like us, he was as human. And yet he was filled with wisdom and the favor of God because he's not merely human. There's something more to be said. Taking those two things in, in, in turn to try and bring out some of the riches of, of this passage in Luke. We can't say everything, but some of the riches. Firstly, looking at Jesus' real humanity. Jesus is, is, is really human. Th- this scene from, from Luke of Jesus lost in the temple, his, his parents in increasing panic, ha- has a very human everyday ring to it. It's a believable, recognizable human scene. Perhaps that, that worries you about my parenting style. But, but I can imagine this happening. As the, the, the pilgrims go up to Jerusalem for one of the great festivals, as they return the hundreds of them back to the north, that's, that's that moment, a day out from Jerusalem, where they sort of say, well, where's Jesus? I thought he was with the cousins at the back. They say, well, I thought he was with you. It's almost like home alone. There's that great scene where they say, give this to Kevin, give this to Kevin, give this to Kevin. He gets passed down the line and finally it comes back. Kevin's not here, Kevin's not here, Kevin's not here. And suddenly they realize, he's gone. The panics rush back. The, 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 the horror of Mary as they search through the streets of Jerusalem before finally finding him. And then suddenly as you find him, that mix of any parent ever lost a child. Now, I don't think we've ever really lost a child, but I remember being lost as a child, I would wander off and, and being lost. And, and the horrors, my mother would find me in the, in the department store or the theme park, whatever it was where I'd been lost, and not quite know whether to tell me off or to give me a great big hug. Relieved, and yet at the same moment, utterly full of joy. It, it's a very human scene. It's a very human scene because it's full of, of human relationships. Sometimes I speak to, to Muslim friends. Muslim extended family and, and, and as I speak to them they seem always particularly concerned with, with, with the minutiae of Jesus' humanity when we talk about the fact that Jesus was fully human they'll ask questions like well does that mean that Jesus, God went to the toilet that he had to, to sleep they're very concerned about the, 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 the humanity of Jesus in a very brute physical way as if that's the most surprising thing about the fact that God became human is that God needed to sleep and that is surprising it, it, it is Remarkable that God, who was full of life and had no need, became truly physically dependent. That, that he had to, to go through all the normal circumstances of life. That, that God had to breathe and, and eat and sleep. That God, who could not die, became capable of death by taking on human flesh. 
But I think actually the more remarkable thing is it's not Jesus' physical humanity, but his relational humanity. That, that he had a mother and father to whom he had to be obedient. That, that he could get lost and someone would be sad. That there'd be any question of needing to obey anyone when he is God. That he would need to, to learn like us. And doesn't Luke set that for us both at the beginning and the end? That he had to grow in wisdom. He, he had to grow in favor even with God. He grew in, in righteousness and obedience. He didn't appear as, as the finished model. It's not like those, those myths. And this is not a myth. This is history. I mean, a, a real myth of, of the God child would, would tell us how he appeared from the womb, like, like the Buddha in the myths, already able to walk. And everywhere he stepped, lotus flowers appeared in his footsteps. But Jesus is not like that. He had to grow and, and learn. He, he learned his first words, but more than that, he learned his Bible and what it means to obey God. He learned from his Father in heaven. We read of it in the servant songs in Isaiah, how day by day God opened his ear to hear what he would say to him. As much as people find it difficult to see how God would need to, to sleep or go to the toilet, it is more remarkable that God was so fully human in Jesus that he had to, to learn and to obey a human being. And don't we even see that in that scene, that, that the heart of the scene is, as Mary and Joseph find Jesus in the temple, and what's he doing? He's asking questions. Now, now again, in our head, we might see this scene, and there's a question about how things were taught then. We might see the scene as Jesus was stood on a pulpit. Of course, people sat in those days in order to preach. So he sat on a pulpit. And the teachers are around him, leaning down as he teaches them. But that's actually not what Luke says. That they find him asking questions. We find him submitting to, to the process of education, learning from God's word in the normal and ordinary human means. Even though this scene is extraordinary, we'll come to that, even then it belongs in the human. It belongs in, in the realm of, uh, of daily Jewish life, of, of the festival and, and, and the sacrifice and, and the worship and the temple and the learning and the authority of teachers. God became truly human in Jesus Christ. Not some kind of fake appearance of Christianity, but, but true humanity, such that he could be said to, to learn and and to grow. That, that's hard to accept. Part of my, my job is to teach theology, among other things. And if you take a kind of a tour through history, Christians have again and again struggled to understand what it means for Jesus to be fully human and fully God. Not, not a mix of the two, but, but fully both. Beware of anyone who says, I, I just want to give you a simple explanation, isn't the Bible very clear that it says this? Usually whatever follows is, is not a good idea. Let me take you to, to one particular person, a man named Apollinarius. He did his best. He's named now Apollinarianism, which is not good. It's not what you want to be. But Apollinarius had a great idea. He said, well, look, Jesus can't really have kind of learnt like us. That doesn't make sense. He, he, he can't be like, really human, because how could God be really human? I can understand that God had a human body, but how could he be really human? Kind of a clever solution. 
Obviously, in the film um, Men in Black, where they, they meet with a kind of a, an alien, but it looks like a human being, and, and then suddenly the face opens up, and that's a little tiny alien, little gray alien, that's sort of driving a, a, a human robot, like a, like a, kind, of a kind of a pilot. Well, well Apollonius has this kind of idea that that's what Jesus' humanity was like. What's Jesus? Well, you, you take a, a human, and you kind of, you, you scoop the soul out, and you put in God where the soul was. So therefore, Jesus is both God and human. He has a human body and a divine soul. Problem solved. It all works. Explains how Jesus could could die. He had a human body and sleep and so on. But also explains how he could be God. Because he has a a divine soul. Uh, And various uh, theologians scratched their heads and said, well, as much as that makes sense of something in the Bible, it doesn't make sense of who Jesus is. It, It doesn't make sense of passages like this where we're told that Jesus not only had a human body, but but he must have had a human soul. Because his soul grew. He learned and and grew in favor with God and men. He grew in wisdom. He was as human as you and I. Upon there, couldn't believe it. And it might be that we find it hard to believe that Jesus was as human as you and as me. That he really was ingrained in in the relationships and and even the obedience and and need to learn of ordinary human life. That that he was 100% a man and a child. One of the things that I don't like about my school chapel where I'm chaplain is it has a picture of Jesus in a stained glass window at the back. Um, I threaten occasionally to, to smash it to the pupils who think it's very funny. But I, I really don't like the picture of Jesus for various reasons. Ask me um, afterwards. But um, one of the things I, I, I do like about it is, is what it shows. There's a picture, and I can see it as I preach, of this scene. Of, of Jesus standing um, in the temple. And it's not really him asking questions. It does look more like him teaching the teachers. So maybe not quite true to, to, to Luke 2. But Jesus standing in the temple. And I think what a great picture to have in a school. Firstly, to, to humble us um, as adults. That, that Jesus at the age of, of 12 could be full of wisdom. That I can learn the Bible and God's wisdom um, from a 12-year-old. As I look at them in the chapel and I speak to them. That actually I can also learn from them. But to show the pupils, this is what a, a real human life should look like and can look like. Can you at the age of 12 enjoy serious theology? Well, yes, Jesus did. Can you at the age of 12 be obedient to your parents? Yes, Jesus was. And actually, here is what a true and, and beautiful life looks like. Do you need to be at the age of, of 12 the, the finished article? No, you can grow. You, you don't expect children to, to be adults. Jesus didn't appear as an adult. He grew as a child. That's, that's a normal part of, of human life. We, we don't expect more of someone than, than the stage at which they're at. But also we, we can expect much of people as, as in Christ-likeness, they, they, they look like Jesus, who is as human as you and I. We, we can live a life like his. And what does that life look like? Well, one of humble obedience to the Father. The most beautiful life that's been lived, Jesus' life, was, was mostly lived in obscurity. Those 30 years that get passed over, well, they weren't years of, of glory. 
Apart from maybe the occasional moment like this, there's, there's no sign, there's anything particularly remarkable about this, this carpenter's son from, from Nazareth. Again, sometimes people come to me and say, I don't feel like I'm being fruitful for God. So if I'm achieving much, to which I say, how did Jesus spend most of his life? He obeyed his parents. He learned. He attended on and, and in, heart, in a heartfelt world gave himself to, to public worship. He just lived a human life. Just going on, living your life to the glory of God, as, as we see an image of Jesus doing here in his submission to his parents, his, his keeping of the festivals, his learning, what he needs to learn, his growth in wisdom. That is a life well spent. God could have appeared and, and died on, on the cross, done, as it were, the, the great work for which he came and, and then disappeared again. But he didn't. He came and he lived a real and whole and complete human life from the beginning. No, no shortcuts that, that we might know, first of all, what our lives can, and, uh, can look like and, and should. We might know that our lives, is, as, as unimportant as they may seem, have the, the, the greatness now of, of having been taken up, as it were, into the divine life, that God lived the kind of life that we can live, even if it's not glorious, even if it is full of, of, of suffering and, and pain. But I mean, there's more to it than that, because Jesus, his humanity is not just an example to us. It's a reminder of the, the greatness of, of the salvation that's wrought, and, and of why he came. Jesus didn't just come, as it were, to, to die on the cross and take the punishment I deserve. He, he, he did come to die on the cross and take the punishment I deserve. But not just to do that. But, because I guess that the, the risk is that that would just merely re- reset my, my, my clock to, to zero. Give me a blank slate to start again. Take away the punishment I deserve, but then leave me at, at this stage to, to, to re-achieve my salvation. But the problem is I haven't done what I should. I don't just need the, the record right clean. I, I need a positive record to be put on my account. I need not just to be saved from, from my sin, but, but to be given righteousness, right standing and and even merit before God, to, to live a life which finds God's favor. I need counted to, to, to my credit, not just a, a, a forgiveness of my sins, but, 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 as it were, all that I should have done. J- Jesus obeyed his parents, because all too often I didn't and, and don't. He obeyed his father and, and served humbly, that there was no glory in it, because all too often... I don't. He, he did all that he should do and, and lived a perfect and pure and obedient human life. And in every moment he was doing that and living that life for me, that it might be credited to me. And so as we see him embedded here in, in human life and yet doing it perfectly in a way that I clearly do not, we see what God sees as he looks upon my life. If you were to look at my childhood... Um, you, you would find all sorts of messiness. I was not this kind of 12-year-old. Indeed, having gone back to teach at my old school, I, I came up with a problem that various um, pupils would remember or their brothers would tell them stories about what I was like at school, um, sometimes quite hair-raising stories. And I was left in a bit of a dilemma as a teacher. What do you do? I, I came up with a solution, which I hope wasn't lies, which was me to say to them and look at me the eye and say, look, little Johnny, does... Does that sound like it's true? 
I'd become a Christian at university. So I'd come back slightly different to how I'd been as a teenager. And they'd go away again. Well, it doesn't sound true. We know Mr. Hutchings. He seems very sensible. Of course, the answer was I, I had, a, at times, not always done the right thing as a teenager. I, I didn't lead a perfect life as a 12-year-old. And yet I did in Jesus Christ. Because God looks upon this life lived here that we've read of in Luke 2. That's the life and, and childhood and, and growth that God sees in me. And his favour rests upon it and is full of, of all the wisdom and righteousness that, that my life all too often lacks. What is true of childhood is true of my adulthood and my life now. I need forgiveness, but also Jesus' perfect righteousness. And as the perfect human being, Jesus could give me both those things. He could die on a cross. He could suffer the punishment I deserve in his true humanity. And in his life, he could live the perfect righteous life that I owe to God. He could do both those things and then gift them to me. And we see that here in, in Luke 2, as we see, as it were, the consequences of, of Jesus' true birth, that he can live this sort of life, be truly human. Yet we also see here, and this is a, a second point, second half, as it were, Jesus' divinity. Not a great surprise, but Jesus is fully human, but he's also fully God. And, and it comes out here in the centre of this scene. Jesus' parents find him in the midst of the temple, asking questions. And yet there is something astonishing about the scene. Everyone who sees it is astonished. It's interesting, it's here that... Jesus' parents' understanding breaks down, we're told, in verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And then in verse 50, as they hear Jesus' response, they did not understand the saying he said to them. Bartimaeus might go, why here? I mean, of all the things that had happened, why would their understanding, as it were, break down at this point? If, if you've heard the angel, if you've met with the shepherds and, and the wise men, if you've lived a life around Jesus who was no ordinary child but yet always obeyed, if you had seen Jesus and, and heard Simeon Nams, you heard this morning, speak of how he was the fulfillment of all that God had promised in the Old Testament, why would he be so astonished by seeing him in the temple asking questions? Why did he be so astonished when he gave that answer? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house, or about my father's business. And the answer is because at this moment there's, there's a sense that as human as Jesus is, he, he doesn't quite fit in this human scene. There, there's something that's, that's, that's not quite human about him after all. After all, there's something not quite human, and I teach 12-year-olds theology, there's something not quite human about a 12-year-old who shows this kind of interest in theology and this kind of understanding, who asks questions quite this incisive. There's something not quite normal about this Jesus. And there is certainly something not quite normal about his answer. As he asks, subtly, with, without any kind of sense of, of pride or, or anger, did you not know I would be in my father's house? A child who quite unselfconsciously has two fathers. Joseph, who, who stood right in front of him, named here as Jesus' father, interestingly by Luke, reminding us that he has a human father. And yet also a father in heaven, whose house is, is the temple. And Jesus means far more here, and they knew he meant far more than 
my father who is your father and everyone's father who trusts in him. No, this is, this is my father's house and I am about my father's business. Mary and Joseph see and, and we see that as much as Jesus is investing and, 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 and rooted in a human scene, he is not just a human being. There's something here from outside the, the human world. Someone who speaks with, with authority and has an astounding understanding. I think Luke wants to bring this out. We, we see it, I think, in the way that Luke bookends this passage. Those summaries of, of Jesus' growth, if you had to put them one way around the other, one time we're told that Jesus grew in wisdom, that's the emphasis. The other time we're told that he's filled with wisdom. Which way around do you put it? Well, obviously you put, first of all, the claim that he's growing in wisdom, and at the end you say, and then he's got wisdom. Luke puts it the other way around. Verse 40. Yes, the child grew and became strong, physically, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. Not something he had to achieve or earn, but something that he already had in some way. Though he grows and learns, he was already full of wisdom. At the end, in verse 52, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. The growth comes at the end and, and the complete fullness and possession is at the beginning. Because here we see that though he is rooted in human experience, Jesus is also God. He's also God. Jesus is fully human, unlike Apollinarius might say. He's just as human as, as you and I, and yet he is clearly not entirely human. He has an authority, a presence, an unselfconscious awareness of, of being different. He is semi-detached from any human environment you put him in. He doesn't quite fit because he is also fully God. That is hard to understand. There's no denying it. Mary and Joseph found it hard to understand. Why does their, their understanding break down at this point? I suspect it's because as easy as it is, or as, as possible as it is, to, to see how God could send a, a, an amazing human saviour, a king, to make things right. The idea that God has stepped into his own creation is, is hard for us to comprehend. That Jesus might bring God's rescue is comprehensible. That he might be God is, is an extra step beyond that is astonishing. And... Yet, Luke would have us know it is true that Jesus is God with us. What does it mean for, for us? Well, again, it, it reminds us that Jesus can do what he's come to do. That he can teach with authority, yes, but also as God, as we, we confess from the Heidelberg Catechism, he can, he can bear the, the wrath of, of God. He can rightly take our place, though he's at one level just another human being. Why should someone else... Another human being died for me because it's not just a human being but God. God. God bearing his wrath in himself, self-substitution. God bearing wrath as God and he can survive that, that wrath and be vindicated. If any of us were, were to die under God's wrath, we would be destroyed eternally, subject to eternal judgment. Yet Jesus is... Not just human, but God. He, he, he can die on the cross, and at the very moment he's dying on the cross, he can be one with his Father, and upholding every atom in the universe. 
As Jesus died on the cross, he didn't cease to be God because he is fully God. As remarkable as it seems, as he lay dead in the tomb, God was not dead. He he was utterly victorious, even in in defeat. And indeed, the more he was defeated, the more we see him to be the God who, who is full of love and compassion and grace. Jesus is all the more God for for having humbled himself. Jesus is fully God. He had to be God that he might save us. And more, I think it takes us to something here about teaching and and what it is to to live the Christian life. How how in some ways, again, we said this morning that this experience of of Simon Nana isn't walled off in the past, but it's something we experience in the Christian life today. And I think it's true here as well of of Jesus' humanity and, and divinity. This strange combination of, of the ongoing humanness of our relationship with Jesus. We're related to a particular person who we know. Though we don't know what he looked like, he had a certain height and, and, and appearance and hair colour and way of speaking and everything else. And, and who even now is, is a human being. He's not ceased to be human. He didn't pass into some new realm of existence. Jesus is human and I, as you and I right now and is seized in the particular place at God's right hand from whence he will come again. To judge the world. He remains human. And, and so much of the Christian life is human. He enters into the relationships that we enter into. Of, of family and, and friends. Of, of church. Of, of learning. Of growth. Of what we're doing now. Is, as we engage in the means that God has given. That are so human. As, as one person speaks to, to others. And opens up God's word. In the Christian life. We're also taken to a place. Of divinity. Of an experience of, of a community which is not entirely of this earth, which is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is present amongst his people by his spirit. And as, therefore, we experience that, that same tension between the human and the divine, as we experience Jesus, a particular person who we can know and who one day we'll see face to face with our own eyes, see, see like we see one another because he is as human as we are. Uh, even as we go about the human, we also experience the divine, the, the presence of, of God, his work. That's why I think perhaps Luke is pointing here as he, he moves on to the next bit of his gospel as, as conflict will grow and so we see Jesus teaching. It's something like the, 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 the as it were, ongoing experience of, of Christian teaching. It's interesting, we didn't mention this morning, but again and again, Luke will bring us back to the temple in Jerusalem. Several times we'll come back through Luke and Acts. He'll, he'll bring us back there. One of the remarkable things as we come back in Acts to the temple is we'll see that, that this same experience of, of standing in the temple courts and seeing a human being teach and yet knowing it's the word of God will come again as the apostles teach and speak the word of God in those same temple courts and yet people recognize the power and voice of God at work. I think here in this picture of, of Jesus in the temple speaking, yes, we see something of Christ, but also, as Luke says at the beginning of Acts, we read in his first book of the things that Jesus Christ began to do. And even now, as we, we speak and gather as God's people, we continue to hear the voice of Jesus. We continue to experience that same tension between the human and the divine as, as we hear human words, and yet we also hear the voice of the Lord Jesus enthroned in, in heaven, the one who is both human and relates to us humanly, for human means, and yet who is also God. I don't know if it's anything to do with my particular power or the fact that I'm quite loud, I haven't lost my voice. But, but I remember distinctly a few weeks ago, a little group of, 
uh, of students coming over from India with their teachers, coming to chapel with us at, at school, and hearing me preach. I wish it wasn't me, because this story would then have more, more impact. But speaking from John's Gospel, which we're working through as a school in this year, I speaking to one of the teachers who came the next day, who, who took me aside and one of those conversations you wish you could continue, but as they disappear off to another school and off back to India, said something along the lines of, thank you very much for last night. As you spoke, I heard the voice of God. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> now, was she just saying, you're incredibly loud? No, I suspect not. Was, was she saying, you are such a persuasive speaker? I'm, I'm not. I don't think I pretty was that evening. I was feeling pretty rotten probably by the end of term. But rather there's this experience here of of what the Christian life will always be like. What it was like in the experience of Mary and Joseph, they saw Jesus himself. What it was like for those who saw Jesus in his adult ministry. And what it was like for those who heard the apostles in those same temple courts. The fact that Christian life exists at this intersection between the full humanity and full divinity of Jesus. So even in in the very human, we we can hear the very voice of God, the promise of preaching. Even as Jesus asked questions and made use of those means, the voice of God and and his work was seen in his son. Isn't that the point of of preaching sermons and and gathering in public worship? As we go about the the human means, we we experience the presence and and divinity of of God. I'm going to pray in a moment for for Jesus' presence of those things. We will spend eternity thinking of other things on what it is for Jesus to be fully human and fully God. For any who've taught, been taught theology by me, that might sound like a horror, but actually it will be a great joy to, to think on the wonderful truths. Good use to spend of time this week, if, if you're stuck at a loose end, would be to think on all the things that are great about Jesus being fully human and fully God. Just to spend some time thinking about how wonderful it is that God gave us a saviour like this. We see revealed in this, this, this one scene that we get from his childhood, this wonderful fullness of humanity and of divinity revealed by by Luke and revealed by Jesus to his parents, to Mary and Joseph and to those who were there that day. As we do that, I think we'll reflect on something of of the Christian life, of that strange intersection and tension between the ordinariness of it, the the, the very ordinary things that we do week by week and day by day as we open the book and read the Bible and pray and say certain words, and yet the extraordinary nature of what we're doing as we participate in and are united with the living God. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we thank you that your servant Luke, writing by the Holy Spirit, gave us this insight into who Jesus is. There is so much that could be said out of your word, and yet once again we rejoice to see something of the nature and lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, of his true humanity taken on that he might live and die for us in our place as our substitute. And yet, at the same time, his full divinity, that he might speak and go on speaking with power and wisdom. That as the one who lived and has had vindicated the perfect human life, he he might impart some of his living power to us by his spirit. There's the one who who spoke on earth with a physical human mouth. He might now speak through his servants. And that the gospel proclaimed by us, 
might indeed become your power to salvation. As we read your word this week, as we encourage one another, as we proclaim Christ to those who don't know him, will we see that combined human and divine work as you speak and by your word transform us and those who do not know Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.